you hungry for more? Will you stand? Will you stand in this hour? If you hungry for more. All right, good evening, everybody. Uh, good to be with you tonight, this Thursday evening, and I'm so excited to be diving deeper with you once again. Tonight's subject is um, a really exciting subject, one of those subjects where I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of different opinions. And there's nothing wrong with opinions, but I think the most important thing for us when it comes to anything that's biblical is what does the Bible have to say? So we're going to tonight try and dive deeper into basically, um, you know, the fivefold ministry, discuss the, the, the different ministries within the fivefold ministry. I'm going to kind of sort of break down some of the myths and legends about the fivefold ministry, and hopefully we'll be able to to really get to the bottom of what does the Bible actually say. Now, it's one of those subjects, like most subjects, it's very difficult to try and discuss all of this in one night. But I'm going to do my very best to at least cover what I think is most important and just some things that I think will help you to understand the fivefold ministry a little bit more. But before we dive in this evening, let's open up in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your love. I pray, Lord, that tonight as we dive deeper into your word, that you will open our eyes, that we can see, Father, that you would be glorified and that there would be edification for the church and all those connected this, this evening with this podcast. And Lord, at the end of it all, we pray that you will receive all of the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I think before we get started... Uh, on discussing the different aspects of the fivefold ministry, let's go to the passage in Scripture where the Bible talks about it. Now, where it's collectively spoken about, there's really only one place, which is in the book of Ephesians. Before I start the book of Ephesians, or before I read this to you, I want you just to understand that Paul writes several books in Scripture, several epistles. But this particular one, he addresses it as though he's the one writing it only, exclusively. So, for example, Ephesians 1.1, he makes the statement, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus. So we know directly that he is the one making this address. He is the one writing this epistle. Also, um, most, many scholars believe that he was actually writing this from prison. So, you know, obviously it was important for him to get this information out. He wanted us to know what he has to say here. And I believe that I believe that this is one of, for me, one of the most powerful epistles when it comes to teaching us how to operate within the church in terms of government, leadership, and also obviously at the same time talking about different types of ministries and gifts as well. So let's go to Ephesians 4 where he begins to talk to us about the fivefold ministry. And many people will actually kind of skip this beginning part, but I feel it's so important for us to get into this before we talk about the different fivefold gifts that are released to the church. So Ephesians 4.1, and I think what I'll do is I'll read the whole thing real quick. And then we'll, um, well, actually, let's just, let's just break it down bit by bit. So he starts, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, gentleness, with longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
when he makes this opening statement about the fivefold ministry, because that's what that's going to be all about, he's talking about working, walking worthy of the calling. And again, here he starts by saying he's a prisoner in the Lord, but he says, walk worthy of the calling. So we are all called to something, and in here he's going to address the fivefold ministry specifically. But before he talks about the gifts, he talks about, I think, four or five different things. The first thing he says is we should walk worthy of the calling with all lowliness. The word lowliness really speaks of humility. So as a minister, we should first, before anything, before our gifting and our, and our abilities and, and, and all of that stuff, in order for us to qualify to do this effectively, we need to walk in humility. The second thing he says is he says lowliness, which is humility, then gentleness. Gentleness means mildness or considerateness. So we should be, we should be considerate. You know, we should, we, should be, you know, we should be mild. We should be courteous in the way that we address and the way that we run our ministries or our callings. We should have long-suffering. He says patience, steadfastness. Uh, and endurance, that's what long-suffering means, patience, steadfastness, and endurance. So in other words, we should be able to keep on going no matter what comes our way, because as we know, there's going to be trials and tribulations and different tests. So he says, listen, you know, first of all, lowliness, gentleness, now long-suffering, that you'll be able to hand, you know, run this race, persevere all the way to the end. Then he says, bearing one another in love. And, and I love this because basically, you know, a great description of this would be making allowance for each other's faults because of the sake of love. That's what one of the commentators I read said, and I thought it was so powerful. And then he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, make every effort to unite yourselves, to keep yourselves united in the spirit, building each other, each other up. Now, the reason I feel he starts this with, with like really trying to describe to us the way that we should approach our ministry and our calling is because we're not always going to agree on everything, you know, and th th there, there, is a, there is a desire from Paul here to say, listen, guys, I want you to have humility, even with each other, have humility, be considerate towards each other, have gentleness, long-suffering. In other words, listen, you've got to handle what's going to come. There's going to be different things. Bearing one another in love. Again, he says, bearing one another in love. In other words, you know, there's going to be, we're going to have faults, we're going to make mistakes, you know, but we must bear with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the, in the bond of peace. So the ministry and ministries and churches and organizations and apostles and prophets and all these different people, we should make an effort to not be critical towards one another, to not point a finger and, and try and point out everybody's faults, but rather let's work together in the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what he's really saying here. So before he gets into this, because I think he knew that there was going to be challenges. He knew that there was going to be differences of opinion. He knew that, you know, you know, how much can he write? He can only give us so much information, and then everybody's going to have their opinion, and everybody's going to think they're right. And the truth is, is the Bible tells us we know in part. So we're only going to know what we, what we can and at the same time, be gentle and long-suffering and have humility, low, low, um, lowliness towards other ministers or other ministries if we don't all agree 100% the same. And I think that that's so important before we even go into this. He starts this address in Ephesians 4, starting in verse number 1, 
this is how he begins it. He's, he's trying to just prepare us. Listen, you know, there's, this is what I want you guys to, to prepare yourself for. And I think it's really important. Then he says this, watch. In verse number five, he says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Again, referring to unity, referring to oneness. And I'm not going to get into all of that today because we want to get to the gifts. But he's really making a point here of telling us, listen, you know, there's different, there's different, there's going to be different gifts, there's going to be different callings, but we need to be as one. Then he says this. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, that does, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. So before he rose, he first went down. That can, there's a whole lesson in that in itself. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now watch this. We're talking about Jesus. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So there is the fivefold gift that is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the first thing we need to understand when it comes to the fivefold ministry is that this is a measure of Christ's gift. This is a measure of Christ working through an individual, and, and we'll talk about the purpose of the fivefold ministry a little bit later on. But essentially what we need to understand, that a prophet, the greatest prophet of all, was Jesus. The greatest apostle of all was Jesus. The greatest teacher, pastor, evangelist was Jesus. There was nobody like him. And when he ascended, after he ascended, he gave gifts to men, these gifts were released, basically the gift of the prophet. So he, the prophet, working through our lives. So the, a measure of his gift is released so that he can continue to work, work through individuals. An apostle, a, a pastor, a, a, a prophet, a teacher, an evangelist. A measure is released, obviously, to different individuals. And these are the different fivefold ministries. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to dive right into it this morning or this evening, and talk to you about the five gifts. I'm going to give you a quick, brief definition, and then we're going to dive into each and every one of them. In order that he gives them, he says, first, an apostle. Now, the word apostle in the Greek simply means a sent one. That's what it means. An apostle is a sent one. Or you could say one sent on a mission. That's what, an, that's what the word apostle means. And in fact, you'll find out a little bit later on in Scripture that many times the word, um, the word is used messenger, where the word messenger is in Scripture, it's actually the word apostle, which is very interesting. So it's a sent one or someone sent on a mission. That's what an apostle is. That's what the word apostle actually means. We'll, we'll dive into this in depth a little bit later on. A prophet is, the Bible's definition, is basically one who speaks for God and determines his will. So someone like a messenger that speaks and determines the will of God and speaks the word of God, that, of what God is wanting to say right now. That's what a prophet does. A prophet is someone that is, you know, is being spoken to by the Lord about what needs to be said now. He releases God's revelation and word right now. Uh, again, I don't want to dive too much into this, but that's basically what he does. We see that throughout Scripture and even into the New Testament that that's what prophets would do. 
An evangelist is a bringer of good tidings, a preacher of the gospel. Evangelists go and they preach the gospel. They preach Jesus. They bring good news. Evangelists don't bring bad news. They bring good news. That's why in the scripture you don't see anything about false evangelists because you know, you either bring good news or you don't. And so evangelists, it's a pretty straightforward ministry. And actually in scripture, we don't see a whole lot about the evangelist, but there is some good stuff that we can take a look at this evening. The third thing is a pastor. And really, you know, after looking at it and, and, and looking at some of the commentators and commentaries, really the best word there would actually be shepherd. So a pastor is a shepherd minister, someone who shepherds, takes care of the congregation and ministers to them. This is uh, actually the word pastor is only used one time in the New Testament. Everywhere else that Greek word is used, 17 other times it's actually used for shepherd. So we clearly can see that a pastor is a shepherd. The very last one of the fivefold ministry that I want to cover with you this evening is a teacher. And he is someone that basically teaches. He is a, an instructor and he's someone who interprets scripture. A true fivefold ministry teacher has a gift of being able to interpret scripture like not normal. He's not like someone that can teach, you know, a lot of people teach, elders te can teach in scripture, but an elder is not someone that has a fivefold ministry gift of teacher. There is a clear difference in scripture. I don't know that I'm going to get the time to talk to you about that, but hopefully we will. So we see there the fivefold ministry. Now, what's the purpose of the fivefold ministry? He tells us in verse number 12, he says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we can see the fivefold ministry is set in place to equip the church, the saints, for what purpose? For the work of the ministry. So the church will be equipped to do the work of the ministry, probably within the body, but primarily, I believe, outside in the world. The fivefold ministry equips the church to go out in the world and do the work of an evangelist, a pastor, a prophet, a teacher, and to go out there and spread the gospel and bring people into the body of Christ and expand the kingdom of God. He also says for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, so the, the fivefold ministry is to equip the saints, but it's also for the edifying of the body of Christ so that the, the church can be edified, so the church can be established, so the church can grow. Then he says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, by speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love i love the way that this describes a picture of the church becoming a, a mature man almost that's what it, it, it suggests and we become mature the fivefold ministry will mature the church i believe to its fullness before the second coming of the lord so before the second coming comes i believe we will see the church operating in the fullness of the fivefold gifts I want to say this, and this is important. Not every church is going to do it the same way, but God will take the congregations, the body of Christ all over the world and bring them to a maturity, and it will be done primarily through the fivefold ministry that will bring them to that maturity. 
But not every church's methods are going to be the same. And we need to be okay with that. Like he said in the beginning, let's have lowliness. Let's have humility. Let's, you know, work in unity. Let's not be critical. Let's not be, you know, you know too dogmatic in what we believe. Because the truth is we only have a limited amount of information scripturally that we know for sure is what the Bible says. And a lot of other things is simply what guys believe is probably right. And you could be probably right, but you can also be pro- probably wrong. So that's the, that's the truth. And I think we need to take a look at that, you know, and, and let's, just, let's just separate this evening what the Bible says to what everybody else thinks is a good idea. You know, here at Oceans, we've done things the way that we've been led by the law to do. We evolve, you know, we're evolving as a church. We're growing, you know, and as we grow and change and mature as a body, God will add and change some of our methods and change some of the things we do as the Holy Spirit leads. And I think that that's important for us to understand. But the way that we do it and the way we operate will not necessarily be like somebody down the road. And, you know, because they're doing it and believe that that's the way the Lord wants to operate the fivefold ministry within the local body of, church, of Christ, that's the way they believe it's, that, that's good, that's wonderful. If there's fruit and edification, exhortation, things are going well and people are growing and, and maturing, amen. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to do it exactly the way that they are. That doesn't make him right and me wrong or me right and him wrong. It just makes us different. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. What's important, though, is that we don't make our ideas or methods scripture. That's so important. And unfortunately, in the body of Christ today, I see that so much. I'm sure we've at times possibly made that mistake where we think our methods is scripture. No, our methods are not always scripture. We do what we believe the Holy Spirit leads us to do. But scripture is scripture, and we have to take that at face value. So let's, let's dive into this. Let's see what the Bible says. We're going to start with apostles because this is one of the most, I'd, I'd say probably one of the most, um, you know, it's one of the most intense ministries. It's one of the most, uh, the, one of the ministries that I would say only in recent years has been established, you know, or reestablished in the church, you know. 15 years ago, you didn't hear much about apostles. It was more like prophets 15 years ago. But now, you know, there's a lot more apostles in the body of Christ. So I think let's start with that. That's where Paul started. So let's take a look at it. What does the Bible say about apostles? Now, remember, we spoke about this in the beginning, that apostles are sent ones. These are ones sent on a mission. And I'm going to really show you that clearly from Scripture. We see that over and over and over that apostles were guys that were literally sent out to go and do a specific mission or to go and do a specific work. That's the first thing I want us to really, you know, take a look at. The second thing is that are all apostles on the same level? In other words, if you become an apostle, if you're a sent one, are you now the same as an apostle that has been an apostle for 25 years and done a whole lot of different work? The answer is very simple. No, absolutely not. So, you know, just because someone is an apostle or operating as an apostle has been sent out to do a work doesn't mean that he's at the same level as an apostle that is established and had a ministry for 25 years. There's just simply no way. And we see that from Scripture. Let's take a look. 2 Corinthians 11, verse number 5. Look at what Paul says. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. So he's saying there are imminent apostles. He's not inferior to them. 
But that suggests and tells you very clearly that apostles are not all on the same level. Some are lower than others. And he's saying, listen, he's not inferior to some of the more eminent apostles. And I don't think that that's an arrogant statement at all because, listen, the guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He knew what he was talking about. So he was definitely an extremely important and effective apostle. But again, back to the question, are all apostles equal in their gifting and their calling? No, a measure has been released to certain apostles and they will grow in that measure. They will not always, they will not be at the same place in the beginning as where they will be in the end. Prophets, are they all the same? No, some prophets will be called to do just one or two specific things that God has called them as a prophet to do, where others will prophesy and go all over the world and do specific things. That doesn't make them less important or anything. It's just the measure that they've been given is different. And it goes down the list. Every one of the fivefold ministries are not all the same through every individual. God releases a measure to different ministers in different ways. And I think that's important for us to establish. So, what are the signs of an apostle? Now, we're gonna, when we go into Scripture in just a moment, we're going to see clearly you know, where it speaks about being sent out or a sent one being an apostle. But Paul gives two very clear definitions of what an apostle does or achieves in Scripture. The first one is in 1 Corinthians 9, verse number 2. This is what he says. He's addressing the church at Corinth, which he established. Now, remember... He was the one who planted this church. This was a church that he started. And watch what he says. He says, For I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. Now watch. For you are the seal. The seal of what? The seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So he's saying, listen, I'm the one who planted you. I was sent out. I came to you. I planted you. That's what qualifies me. That's my seal as an apostle, you, you, the Corinthian church, you are the seal of that apostleship. Now watch what he says here. This is really powerful. 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 12. Truly the signs of an apostle. He's going to tell us simply what they are here. Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you when all, with all perseverance. The first sign of an apostle, the first thing he talks about is perseverance. Are you going to be able to run the race? Are you going to be able to be steadfast? I think what's also important for us to recognize here is that he's talking about perseverance, which suggests that apostleship is not something that, like when you're a young person out of, you've just gotten saved, you're not going to be an apostle. You are going to first be tried, tested, persevere, and eventually may step into that ministry as an apostle and be sent out to go and plant a church or to go and plant a ministry or whatever it is that the Lord's going to do. So the first thing he says is perseverance. So, so perseverance is the first one. Then he says, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So in other words, the ministry of an apostle is without any doubt followed by signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. So an apostle will operate in signs, wonders, and deeds, but will have already had perseverance. So more than likely he's been tried, tested, been faithful in the local church. And you will see from Scripture this is unquestionable, undeniable, that apostles are sent out from the local church. They are not sent out from some place, random place that has no authority or is under authority or some guy woke up and said, listen, 
today I think I'm an apostle. No, it is very, very clear that apostles are sent out by the local church. So let's go and take a look at that right away. And this is, this is really good stuff. I think one of the places where we see a really good example of apostles is with Peter and John. Now watch this. Let's go to Acts 8.14. And, and this will be confirmed even more as we dive into it. But Acts 8.14, we know that what's basically happened just before this, early in the book of Acts, and we'll read this a little bit later on, Philip goes to Samaria. Peter and John are at the main church in Jerusalem. Philip goes to Samaria, and when he gets to Samaria, he goes in there, and man, it's revival, typical evangelist, real powerful move of God, demons scream out, people get healed, you know, stuff's happening, and then Philip moves on to the next thing that God's calling him to do. In the meantime, the apostles hear about what's happening in, in Samaria. Let's read it, Acts 8.14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Why? Because Peter and John were two that were apostles. They were already appointed as apostles, but also take a look. When they heard about the word being at Samaria, everybody say, sent. They sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read to you everything that they continued to do in Samaria, but they began to correct things in Samaria. There was Simon the sorcerer, and, he, and Peter corrected him, and it was establishing Samaria and getting things straight in Samaria. Then in Acts 8.25, it says, So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So these apostles came down to Samaria to make sure that the church was being established correctly, that things were being done in an orderly way, and that the gospel was also taught in a fulfilled way. You know, when, when Philip went into Samaria, he preached the evangelistical message of Jesus, which we're going to talk about later on when we discuss the evangelist. Signs and wonders follow the evangelist. They've got a power ministry generally. And so when they leave, the apostles come in to do what they do to establish to make sure that things get set up correctly, to set things, you know, in an orderly way. And we see them continuing to actually minister in villages in Samaria. So it's not like they just went there and stayed there for a day. They got things organized. They got things set up. They were sent to do that. They were sent to do that. Now, what you may not know is the, the, the New Testament actually speaks of more than 25 apostles. There are more than 25, probably closer to 28, somewhere around there. But clearly more than 25 apostles are actually mentioned in Scripture. So let's take a look at this. First of all, who is the most important apostle? Now, we've spoken about this already. Hebrews 3 verse number 1 says this, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our, of our confession, Christ Jesus. So there we see, Jesus is the great apostle and our high priest as well. But we won't talk about that this evening. He is the great apostle, and he sent out, obviously, he sent out apostles and appoints apostles through the church, you know, specifically through the laying on of hands. We see that over and over through the, through the New Testament. So let's go to Matthew 10, verse number 1. Matthew 10, verse number 1. This is when he calls his disciples 
to be his apostles. Watch this. Matthew 10, 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to himself, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Now, the names of the 12 apostles, here we go. There it is. Apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and then Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Lebius, whose surname was also Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So I want you to see Judas was appointed as an apostle. We know that later on Judas betrays Jesus, and then Matthias is replaced. He, he replaces, he actually replaces Judas as the twelfth apostle. This is important for us to note because many people say, well, Matthias wasn't really you know, the twelfth apostle Paul was. No, that's not true. Paul was not the twelfth apostle. There's no question about it that he was one of the later apostles. Matthias was one of the one of the twelve. And we see this when Peter's busy giving his sermon. In Acts chapter number 2, watch here, Acts 2.14, but Peter standing with the 11, with the 11 who? With the 11 other disciples, apostles. So they were clearly, he would have been, he'd been appointed as an apostle. Matthias was an apostle. So Paul was not the 12th apostle. I don't exactly know where he was, but he definitely wasn't 12. He was maybe 14, 15, maybe 20. I don't know exactly the order of where he was appointed, but no question, he does get appointed, and I'll prove that to you. Let's go to Acts 13, verse number 1. This is really powerful, and I'm going to make another very important point here because this is one of the things that people get confused about. So let's take a look at it. Acts 13, verse number 1. I hope you guys are getting something out of this this evening, and I'm sorry that even in the beginning I didn't really give you a warm welcome because I just was so excited to dive into this for the sake of time, wanting to get to as much of the material as I can. So Acts 13, verse number 1. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, so we need to understand this is a local church, the church that was in Antioch. Watch this. There were certain prophets and teachers. Who were they? Prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Minoan, who, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. This Saul is Paul. That's the one. You can check it. There's no question about it. So Barnabas and Saul and Simeon and, and Niger and all these guys, all these other guys now, they were, they, were, they were all together. These are the prophets and the teachers that were at Antioch. These are the guys that were at Antioch. It's interesting to note as well that they were referred to as prophets and teachers. Now, you can debate that and say, well, maybe some of them were prophets and some of them were teachers. Personally, my personal opinion, I think that they were probably all prophets and teachers, but we don't know that for sure, so no one can say that. That's not a definite, but I'm going to show you why I actually suggest that a little bit later on. Now watch. So now they're all there together at the church at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers. Now we know who they are. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them. Now watch, they sent them away. So they sent them out. This is their appointment to be apostles. They are being sent out. They were already teachers, prophets, or teachers and prophets. I'm not 100% sure. But now they're already one of the fivefold gifts. The Bible tells us that possibly two. And now they're being sent out to be appointed as 
something else to go and do a specific, specific mission. Let's go and have a look at what the Bible says. Take a look at this. So it says, separate to me Barnabas and Paul. Acts 14.14 14 now, just basically a few, one chapter later. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran among the multitude crying out. So we can see now they refer to as apostles. When did they become apostles? When they were in Antioch and hands were laid on them and they were sent out as apostles. Before they were apostles, they were prophets and teachers or teachers and prophets, however you want to interpret that. Again, I personally believe that there's a very strong possibility that Paul was a prophet as well. I mean, he only wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He only had more revelation than most. So there's a very good possibility that he was a prophet. But most certainly, he definitely had the gift of a teacher. There's no question about that. So he was, and the Bible tells us, certain prophets and teachers, they weren't referred to as apostles yet. Hands get laid on them. They go out. When they go out, when they're sent out, they are now sent out as apostles. So we see that very clearly, Acts 14, 14. Let's take a look at some other examples of individuals in Scripture that we may not know are actually apostles. Let's take a look at Titus. We hear the name Titus. We see the name Titus very many, many, many times in Scripture. And I'll show you why I believe that he was probably an apostle. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 23. Now, he worked with Paul many times. And probably, not probably, I guarantee you, when he started his ministry and worked with Paul and did different things, he was operating in other giftings. But eventually, he was appointed as an apostle. And I'll show, why, I'll show why I say that. 2 Corinthians 8, 23. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. So he's talking to the church at Corinth now. Or if our brethren are inquired about... They are messengers of the churches, the churches, the glory of Christ. They are messengers. The word messengers is actually the word apostles. So they are apostles. So he's referring to Titus here as an apostle. We see in Philippians 2 verse 25 the same thing, the exact same thing about Aphroditus. Aphroditus, yet he says this in Philippians 2 verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Aphroditus, my brother, fellow worker. Now have a look. I sent him to you. I sent him out. And fellow soldier. But your messenger. In other words, listen, he's your apostle. He's your messenger. The word there is apostle. And the one who ministered to my need. So again, here he's referring to Aphroditus as an apostle. But I can assure you he didn't start his ministry as an apostle. So any kind of suggestion that the fivefold ministry cannot be, you cannot be a teacher, pastor, or teacher, pastor, or teacher, prophet, or teacher, apostle, prophet. That's crazy, because clearly in Scripture, we can see that the one example is unquestionable. Paul was either a prophet and teacher, or a teacher and a prophet, or, or a prophet, became an apostle. And I'll actually show you later on how I believe he was an evangelist as well. And I'll, I'll prove that to you a little bit later on. It's good stuff, isn't it? It's really good stuff. I love the Word of God. It clears up so much stuff for us. So let's take a look at another example. And I guarantee you, most of you did not know that Timothy was an apostle. And I'll prove that to you. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 1, verse number 1. We all know, actually no, let's start in 2 Timothy verse 1, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. This is important because this, this gives you an idea 
of a place where something was released to Timothy. There's no question Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. We know that because Paul addresses him that way, talks about him as the leader, the pastor of Ephesus. But later on, I believe that he became an apostle. 2 Timothy 1 verse number 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Again, we see that the laying on of hands is where gifts are released. A gift is, is released to Timothy. Paul is telling him to stir that gift up. There is definitely a possibility. That's not a guarantee because we don't know this for sure. But there is definitely a possibility that he was, he was, he was telling him to stir up that gift of apostleship that's in him. Because there's more. There's more that he has to do. Now let's take a look. 1 Thessalonians 1.1. Take a look who wrote... 1 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. We know Paul's the main author, but he doesn't refer to himself here only, and there's a very good reason for it. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, he has the address, in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the address, the letter is written from Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. 1 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. Now watch this. 1 Thessalonians 2.6, now, now they, they're addressing, they're addressing the church. Nor did we, who, who's the we? Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Nor did we see glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles, as apostles of Christ. So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were clearly apostles of Christ. What made them apostles? They'd been sent out. They were sent ones. They had been appointed. There was laying on of hands, a release of the gift. Throughout Scripture, in the book of Acts and in other places we see, but primarily the book of Acts, it is very clear that when someone is sent out to do the work of an apostle, it is done through the laying on of hands and a sending out that takes place. Remember, John and Peter were sent to the church in Samaria. They were sent to go and establish it. When Paul goes, you know, to, to the cities and to the places he went to and established the churches, he was sent out, you know, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas, because they need to go. There's work that they have to do. They have to go and establish the, the, some ministries. They have to go and, and, and get things going. They have to operate apostolically. They have to set things in order. And we can see that Paul did that in the way that he wrote his letters. But he was not the only one doing it. In Thessalonians, we see that it was done by, by Silvanus. It was also done by Timothy. So, you know, as we can clearly see, without any doubt whatsoever, that there was multiple apostles, that, that there are more examples of apostles in Scripture. And again, you know, for the sake of time, I can't give you more examples or we'll just be here all night. I want to move on to the prophet in just a moment. But our idea of an apostle may not necessarily be 100% correct. I truly believe that an apostle is someone that has matured and then gets sent out to establish a work. That's a, the true meaning of an apostle, a sent one. And he makes sure that things are kept in order and put in order. And again, I believe it's not, I don't believe an apostle is, 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 a, um, is a going to be an immature believer that is just starting out. I believe it is someone that is more mature and clearly, again, you can see that many of these guys started out in other positions. Paul as a teacher prophet or as a teacher or a prophet, becoming an apostle. You know, I'll, I'll show you later on why I think he was an evangelist as well. 
um, we can clearly see Timothy was a, was a pastor, but also went on did and did tours with 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 Paul and what was sent out and sent to do a work. So we, he becomes an apostle as well. So very clearly, um, you know, again coming back to the, the the question, can someone have more than one fivefold gift? Yes, without a doubt. There's no question about that. Can someone have one gift, two gifts, three gifts? I don't know the answer to that, but I can most certainly tell you that Peter, I mean, Paul definitely operated as a teacher. Paul definitely operated as, I believe, as a prophet because, again, someone had, that gets that amount of revelation, and there that scripture also confirms that it's very possibly referring to him as a teacher and a prophet. He definitely operated as an apostle. You know, was he a pastor? I don't know, maybe not. And I'll show you why I believe he was an evangelist as well. You know, even if one individual is given all five gifts, let's say, no one can compare to Jesus. No one can be Jesus. Jesus is the, pro- the, the prophet, the apostle, the pastor. No, no one can touch him. It's a measure of the gift. But as he decides, he releases these gifts and some people may operate as a prophet more than any of the others, but maybe use one of the gifts, you know, is appointed in that position for a season or for a period of his life. I don't know exactly. Again, I don't know exactly how it works. We don't know exactly, exactly how it works. One thing I can tell you is that from reading through the book of Acts, it wasn't important that, you know, when Timothy came to town, everybody must now call him Apostle Timothy. That was not the case. The only thing is that Paul defends his apostleship, but even after that, he makes it very clear that the most important thing is that he's a bondservant, that that's really what he wants to to do. He doesn't say, I, Apostle Paul, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's Paul, and his office, his gifting, is as an apostle, but he's also other things too, no question about that. I don't think we should focus on that, you know, um, now, now am I saying that if someone calls himself Apostle Joe, that he's now evil and bad? Absolutely not. That's what he wants to do. My opinion, my opinion, and this is not scriptural, this is my opinion, is that it's not the most important thing. Listen, you either have the gift or you don't. It's as simple as that. It doesn't have to be, a, the title is not important. What's important is the measure of Christ's gift in an individual to be able to edify the church for the work of the ministry as the Lord releases it. Amen. All right. So let's quickly take a look at a prophet because this is an awesome one as well and some interesting things I'm going to show you here that that I'm pretty sure you may not have seen. But a prophet is one who speaks on behalf of God and determines his will. A prophet is someone that God will speak to and, 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 and will bring God's word into the, to, into the now, into the today, not change God's word, not add to God's word, but what is God saying to us now? That's what prophets do. They tell us what God is saying right now. You know, have a look at what Scripture says, Amos 3 verse 7, and this confirms what I'm saying. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. So when before God's going to move, He's revealing to his prophets what he's going to do. He's giving a revelation of what he's going to do, all lining up with Scripture, all lining up with the Word of God, you know, so that we can see what God is wanting to say at this time. 
the Bible teaches us about false prophets. It teaches us about presumptuous prophets. It does all of that. I can't do that now, but those things exist too. If there's true prophets, there's false prophets. That's clear. Jesus teaches us about false prophets. So that exists as well. Presumptuous prophets exist as well. But we can see that God has always had an intention of having prophets on the earth where they can reveal his word, his secrets, you know, different things that he wants to release to the church specifically in, in today's time. Proverbs 29, 18 says, watch this, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Where there's no revelation, where there's no hearing what God is saying, when there's no leading the church, when there's no direction for the church, when there's no prophetic, you know, what is God wanting us to do? Where is God wanting us to go? It's not a good thing. The people will cast off restraint. The people will perish. It's not a good thing when there's no revelation. So revelation is extremely important. Take a look at what the Bible says in 1 Samuel. This is so powerful. When Samuel was a little boy, we know that Eli was the prophet at that time, and the word of the Lord was read. Listen to what it says. 1 Samuel 3, verse number 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. So Eli was the prophet at that stage, or the high priest rather. He was actually the high priest. And the, the word of the Lord, the Lord had become rare. The Bible says, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. See, there was no revelation. God was not giving us anything fresh. What, was, what needed to happen at that time? He was not speaking to the children of Israel. Nothing was happening. There was no widespread revelation. And the word of the Lord had become rare. And it says, and it came to pass at that time while Elon was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow dim, that he could not see. So he wasn't able to see or hear what God was wanting to say. Before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, so I want you to note that the, the lamp of God is there, the tabernacle is there, the ark is there, everything looks good, but God is not speaking. And when God is not speaking, it's not a good thing. That's why the Bible says, surely the Lord does nothing except he first law, you know, except he first speak to his servant, the prophets. So prophets are extremely important. That's why in this age, before the before the apostolic has been had been reestablished in the church, there was an incredible move of the prophetic movement, and we've got to see a lot more revelation. We got to hear a lot more in how God was speaking to us about the signs of the times and about what's going on on the earth right now. You know, teaching us how to fight, teaching us how to be effective Christians. That's what prophets will do. They will equip you. They will teach you. They will inspire you. They will bring revelation to you. That's what prophets do. It's an extremely powerful thing. So we see here that with all of those things going on, that the Lord called Samuel and he answered and he said, here, here I am. So that's what prophets are there to do. They're they there to hear from God, not in any way to to contradict or to say anything against Scripture. That is the Word of God, not to add to Scripture, but what is God saying now? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Prophets help us to see and hear and understand things more clearly. Were prophets in the New Testament? Yes, absolutely. There were many, many prophets in the New Testament. There's absolutely no question about that whatsoever. Now, Let's take a little bit of a look at this real quick. Let's take a look. I want to talk about Jesus, first of all, because we had a look at Jesus as the apostle. Now we look at Jesus as the prophet. Acts 3 verse 22 says this, For Moses truly said to the fathers, 
Moses said this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, whom shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. We can clearly see who's he talking about. He's talking about Jesus, but if you don't believe me, let's read on. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold of these days. Which days? Of when that prophet will come. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away everyone of you from your iniquities. So there it is. God will raise up to us a prophet like Moses, but he'll be far greater than Moses. He's the way that will lead us to salvation. Anyone who does not receive him will ultimately perish. There we see it. Jesus is the ultimate prophet. No question about that. But we also see that, you know, a lot of people believe that prophets were ended when the, when, the, when the New Testament era came, and that's simply not true. Acts 11, verse 27. Watch this. Acts 11, verse 27. This is now quite a long time into the New Testament church. And in these days, prophets, plural, everybody, plural, <laughs> prophets came from Antioch, or from Jerusalem to Antioch. So we can see that from Jerusalem to the church at Antioch, Several prophets came to minister at that church. Then it says, Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine, a sign of the times of what God's about to do and what's about to happen throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each one according to his ability, excuse me, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. So the prophet came with the other prophets. Agabus stood up, had a word from the Lord, released the word of the Lord, and the church was able to be effective and be able to prepare for that famine that was coming. That's really powerful. He must have been a seriously awesome prophet. And we'll hear a bit more about him a little bit later on. Let's take a look at some other prophets in the New Testament. Acts 13, verse number 1. Now, at the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, which we read already. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius. Okay, I read that scripture earlier on. But there the Bible tells us that already at Antioch were certain prophets and tells us who those certain prophets and teachers were. Barnabas, Saul, and the likes. Acts 15, 32. Let's take a look at another example. Now, this is an important one because this is going to shake you a little bit, some of you. <laughs> Now Judas, this is not Judas Iscariot, this is another Judas, and Silas, themselves being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened their brethren with many words. It's very interesting. Now if you remember, earlier on I spoke about Silvanus in Thessalonia, who was addressed with the Thessalonians and was referred to as an apostle. Yes, Silvanus or Silas, you can go check me, this is 100% accurate, Silas and Silvanus are the same person. Here he's referred to as a prophet. So we can clearly see he was an apostle and he wasn't a prophet. He was a prophet. More than likely, I mean, I'm sure if I had done, if I'd had more time to research this, I would have seen that he was teaching as well. More than likely, he was a teacher too. 
So he did not only operate exclusively as an apostle or exclusively as a, as a prophet or exclusively, exclusively as a teacher. He, was opera he operated as definitely both an apostle and as a prophet. So we see two of the fivefold gifts released to one individual, again, for the sake of equipping the church for the work of the ministry. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Acts 21, verse number 8. This is a good one. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. There we see again, one thing about Scripture in the New Testament is wherever you see the name Philip, it tells us, listen, Philip, that's the guy that was the evangelist, <laughs> who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So Philip, his house must have been in order. His daughters were also obviously in the ministry and had the ability to prophesy, but the Bible does not call them prophets. So that I want you to understand, not all who prophesy are prophets. I don't have time to do a whole teaching on this this evening, but I want you to understand that just because you have the gift of prophecy or are able to prophesy, Paul tells us, listen, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you can prophesy. But don't think that when you can prophesy that now you're, not, you're a prophet. I can assure you, you are not a prophet until you are appointed as one. There is no such thing as a self-proclaimed prophet. It has to be someone that is appointed, that is chosen, that is selected by God. And I can assure you that more than likely, uh, you will find that it's the, through the same method that God will appoint you and, and, and approve you within the local church body. I don't think there's any question about that. Now, God can come to you and speak to you, but he will confirm it. He will confirm it in the church. So he says, so these, these four virgin daughters had the ability to prophesy, but again, they were not prophets. We know that because now we're going to hear about the prophet that was there. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. What a great word, isn't it? So there's Agabus the prophet operating with the measure of grace that he has. He has a different measure. He's not necessarily always going to give you a wonderful message. He's going to tell you something important. But actually, Paul already refers to himself as someone bound earlier. So he already knew that this was going to take place. And, and this was just a confirmation to him. But Agabus gives him this word. Again, we see Agabus op operating in the New Testament time, not one of the 12 apostles, somebody completely unique. Again, here we see several examples of different prophets that are selected and are obviously going out and doing the work of the ministry, operating as prophets. And we see again here, that some of these prophets were not prophets only. Again, we see, um, we see Silas clearly as an apostle as well. Very interesting. All right. The next one, and I'm probably going to only you know, touch very briefly on pastor and, and, and teacher. I don't think we struggled too much with that. But I want to show you something with the evangelist, which I think is really powerful. Okay, first of all, Jesus was the greatest evangelist of all. He came... And he preached a message, the gospel of the good news. We know that. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the good news, the good news of the, of, of the kingdom. He went out and he preached the gospel. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That describes the evangelist. The evangelist goes out 
preaches the message of the gospel, preaches the message of Jesus for the sake of saving people's lives. That's the work of the evangelist. And clearly there we see Jesus as the great evangelist. Now the Bible tells us that Philip was, uh, that Philip was an evangelist. Acts 8 verse number 5, I told you about what the apostles did after Philip had been to Samaria. But let's read about what happened when he was in Samaria. Acts 8 verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. The primary message of the evangelist is the message of Jesus Christ. He pre they preach repentance. They preach the message of Christ. They preach the message of the gospel, the good news. That's the message that they preach. And we see this because when Philip ministers again later on, the message is the same. So when he goes to Samaria, he preaches Christ to them. And the multitude with one accord heeded the things by Philip, hearing the, seeing the miracles which he did. So we know again that evangelists, when they go into a place, people know that he's an evangelist, a true evangelist, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Why? Because he preached Christ. The message was Christ as an evangelist. That's the message that he did. When, when the apostles came to Samaria, they didn't only preach Christ. They taught on the Holy Spirit. They taught on all other different things and established the church. But when Philip went to Samaria, the message was Jesus. The message was repentance. Miracles took place. Verse 7 says, For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and, lame, and the lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So awesome. Now, we know that, that later on, Peter you know, meets the eunuch, runs next to the chariot of the eunuch. The eunuch's reading the book of Isaiah. He gets up and the eunuch asks about who is he talking about and who is this man. And the message that, that Philip once again preaches, listen, Acts 8.35, then Philip opened his mouth. When the evangelist opens his mouth and begin, beginning at the scriptures, preached Jesus to him. So again, we see Philip, the evangelist, goes out, preaches Christ, preaches Christ, and then we see baptism right afterwards. We see a great miracle. He gets caught up, and he ends up in another city. That's pretty awesome, I think. We call that Philip's transport. Um, but again, we see the message of Christ, and we see signs and wonders following. Now, the reason why I feel that um, Paul, I, I believe that Paul probably operated as an evangelist too, this, there's a great example of this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. When he goes to Corinth, he's going to tell... Watch what he says. Let me just read it to you. When he came to Corinth, this is how he came. This is why I believe he came as an, as a, and operated as an evangelist first. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come to you with excellence of speech, of the wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. So he says, I didn't come teaching you all this stuff. For I determined not to know anything among you, Except, here's the message, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The message was a typical evangelistic message. When He came to Corinth and He set up the church, it seems as though they were all unbelievers. They didn't know anything about Jesus. So an evangelist was required. There was no other evangelist. So guess what? He was the evangelist, preached Christ and Him crucified. Watch this. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Here it comes. But demonstration of the Spirit and power. The message was Jesus. And the demonstration of miracles, signs, and wonders, and power was released. People got saved. Then he operated as an apostle and established the church as well. So awesome, isn't it? So I, I, again, we don't know. It doesn't tell us that Paul operated as or in the gift of evangelist. 
But the way that this describes his coming into Corinth certainly suggests that he came in like an evangelist or with a gift of the evangelist. The grace was released to him to evangelize that city. Man, I don't think there's any question. I don't think there's any question. You know, he was not, it's not like arriving in, in, in Port St. Lucie where there's 40 other churches. Nobody had been there. He had to come in as an evangelist, and that's what he did. He came in. 